With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. They're a good football team. They played well. They played and coached better than we did. Thought our guys showed up. They were ready to go in all three phases. Sean had a good plan. Players executed it well. Tight ends, receivers, everybody contributed, and then Cam Akers had a big night. They performed better than we did. They made plays when they had to make them. It doesn't get back the uh, the hurt and the scars of that night. I can promise you that. The Los Angeles Rams getting some measure of revenge, but not much for losing Super Bowl 53 to the New England Patriots. As Sean McVay said, it, it, it really it's really not the same. Winning in the regular season against a team that beat you in the Super Bowl does not make it okay. You don't get to claim their trophy. You don't get to go steal their rings. <laughs> they still won when it mattered most. But it was impressive last night, Peter King, from the LA Rams, 24-3 victory over the New England Patriots, put a fork in the Patriots, and raise the curtains on us for the next two hours on PFT Live. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good morning, Mike. My biggest question after last night's game is very simple. If the Chargers lost to the Patriots by 45 points, <laughs> and if the Rams beat the Patriots by 21 points, does that mean that if the Rams and Chargers played that the Rams would win 66 to nothing? You know, I'm not uh, sure, but all I can say is one team is awful and the other team killed the team that beat the awful team. So uh, I don't know what to say other than that couldn't have been a good night last night for Dean Spanos. <laughs> I, I can't imagine a, a bigger point spread differential for a team especially four days apart from Sunday to Thursday then scoring 45 yeah. and then falling all the way down to three and I joked on Monday that maybe the Patriots should have saved a few of those points that they scored against the Chargers they, they just they, they couldn't make it happen last night and and credit more than anything else to the Rams defense a team that we have known for offense yeah. over the last few years because of Sean McVay the defense put the clamps on the Patriots suffocating goal line stand when the Patriots were trying to make it interesting when it was 17 nothing, and then never let them get close to the end zone after that. And really in the second half, couldn't get anything going to the point where Cam Newton got benched for Jared Stidham again. It's the second time it's happened this year. And not a surprise because neither quarterback could really make anything happen last night for the Patriots. I don't think anybody could have made anything happen last night for the Patriots against that defense, Peter. Yeah, I mean, the Rams defense, look, you know, when, when Brandon Staley got hired by uh, Sean McVay at the beginning of this season, I think everyone said, so what? You know, nobody cared. Well, they're getting rid of Wade Phillips. They're, they're bringing in a young guy. And I mean, the reaction around the league, Mike, was essentially that, oh, you know what? Sean, Sean McVay wants younger blood around his team. And they not only got younger blood, but they also brought in a coach in Brendan Staley, who essentially has brought what Vic Fangio does in Denver and before that in Chicago, where uh, Staley met up with him. 
And he's brought that sort of defense, which is, to me, a very confusing-looking defense. Staley takes pride, sort of in a, in a bit of a different way, but takes pride in exactly what Bill Belichick does with his defense. It is a snowflake. It can be different every week. You could see Jalen Ramsey on the best receiver on the other team. You could see you could see him playing all over the map. You could see him playing deep. He's even played in the slot this year. So that is what I saw last night. The New England Patriots having no idea how to deal with that defense. And Staley, by the way, now I think has firmly played himself into contention for a head coaching job, or at least some head coaching interviews at the end of the year. And it's an amazing ascension for the 37-year-old Brandon Staley. I'm looking at his history. You mentioned the connection to Fangio. He was with Fangio 2019 in Denver as the outside linebackers coach. Two years before that in Chicago with Fangio when Vic was the defensive coordinator and Staley was the outside linebackers coach. Prior to that, he was the defensive coordinator at John Carroll University. Nothing against John Carroll University. But from John Carroll University, the Chicago Bears, is one hell of a bump. And it's amazing. You see this in the backgrounds of a lot of coaches, that progression where all of a sudden it's like, how the hell did that happen? And talk about what a difference one break can make for a guy. And there's so many coaches out there that are just kind of churning in anonymity anonymity I sound like sins anonymity anonymity at these at these lower level colleges and all of a sudden it pops they get a break they're in the right place at the right time whatever the case may be and it's this meteoric rise it's really stunning to see when you when you look at the list of jobs where all of a sudden something doesn't make sense here and now this guy's on track to be an NFL head coach you know, the amazing thing is, you know, and I know Staley a little bit. I don't know him well, Mike, but the amazing thing is that, you know, three weeks ago, the Los Angeles Rams went to Tampa, and this was a big deal for for uh, Staley because he's, he's a big football fan. He loves football. One of the reasons why McVay loves Staley is because he loves football, and I think one of the things that Staley had so much respect for when he looked at the schedule this year, you know, basically three weeks apart, he was going to be able to play Tom Brady one week and Bill Belichick the next week. And, uh, you know, the next, you know, three weeks later. And, you know, he went to, they went to Tampa. And although the, you know, the score was close, he really frustrated Tom Brady that night for much of that game. And then obviously last night, you know, holding the New England Patriots to three points, I, I thought it was just really an embarrassing game for Cam Newton. And I don't know where this leaves the Patriots in their quarterback situation. Those two games right there, one against Bruce Arians slash Tom Brady, one against Bill Belichick slash Josh McDaniels, uh, essentially uh, are, is going to make him, if not... Uh, bound for a job, at least a candidate for a job come January 4th. Yeah, and look, we've seen it time and again. You never know what a coordinator is going to do when he finally gets a chance to become a head coach. It's a different skill set. Sometimes guys grow into the job, sometimes they don't. But given the manner in which Staley has adapted quickly and successfully to the NFL, someone is going to seriously consider him to be a head coach coming up here in the not-too-distant future. We are firmly, though, in the window where the candidates outnumber the jobs and the people who have the buzz attached to them are more plentiful than the opportunities will be. And we're awaiting in just about three weeks and two days the commencement of the annual game of musical chairs to see who lands where and who gets what job. And the Rams on track for a division championship now, Peter, at nine and four, he won't be available. Let's stay in the same division. Staley and Robert Sala. Sala, by all appearances, is going to be available to be hired right out of the gates, unlike last year when he wasn't available until after the Super Bowl. And and I know that that you've complained about this and advocated for change. I have. Others have. It 
something's wrong with this picture. These jobs are too scarce. The window opens too infrequently for candidates to be slowed down by the rule that says thou shalt not hire someone until their team season is over. Yeah, I mean, it's just a mistake. And I it's not only unfair to the candidates. I really think it's unfair to the teams because, Mike, I can tell you this right now. I can't tell you who the who the candidate was, but two years ago, there was a candidate who his team wanted, who a team wanted to hire. And afterwards, one of the factors when this person was not hired by this team, uh, one of the factors was that the person running the search for the hiring team just said, you know, we really thought that it was close and we might have liked the other guy better, but it was very close. And we just decided we would rather get potentially a three or four week head start, you know, depending on how long the other team was in the playoffs. And so that is the thing. And look, you know, ironically, somebody else could say, well, Peter, you know, you, look, this actually helped the Indianapolis Colts, didn't it? Because when by the time Josh McDaniels told them no in 2018, all the field was, uh, you know, was pillaged. It was gone. So they had to go to the number five or six guy on the original list that Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, had. That was Frank Reich. And I can just tell you this right now. They're living happily ever after in Indianapolis. And I think they're really happy the way that turned out. But it just, to me, it's not fair to the teams and it's certainly not fair to the candidates that some people will not be candidates because their teams are still in the uh, in the playoffs on January 4th. But the Reich situation to me just proves how many qualified candidates there are to become NFL head coaches right. and how many people can do the job at a high level if given the opportunity. There just aren't the opportunities. And the playoff berth, the playoff success, keeping certain coaches from being available. For Josh McDaniels, it's probably not going to be an issue for him this year either if he's considering making the jump, although the shine for him, not like it's been in past years because the Patriots now 6-7, and seven, Peter, and by all appearances not headed for the postseason. They had a tough road anyway. Steve Kornacki had their number – uh, chance at 21% on Sunday night. And I, I, I thought, well, they probably got a better chance than that. Not after last night, they don't. I think it's over. I think even if they win their last three, which with the Bills and the Dolphins on the horizon is no gimme, I think even then, nine and seven is not going to be good enough. It's just weird to see and to say that the Patriots, who've been to the playoffs every year since 2008, who've had at least 10 wins every year since 2003, are done. Yeah, and I think last night showed so many things, as painful as they are, that the Patriots needed to see. And on that long plane trip east, you know, that four and a half hour plane trip to uh, back to New England, I think one of the things that, other than maybe getting some sleep, other some of the things that that Bill Belichick and his staff really have to think about. I mean, in no particular order, but I'll give you three of them. Number one, you know, obviously the biggest thing is what are you going to do with the quarterback situation headed into next year? Are you just going to let, uh, you know, let everything play out and then do pickup sticks in, in June the way you did this year? Or are you actually going to have a plan and go after a guy now that your cap is in a better situation? Number two, what are you going to do with all these guys who opted out and want to come back and who you have to pay real money to if they do come back? I'm looking at you, Dante Hightower. I mean, what are the Patriots going to do with all of those players who they, who they probably are going to have to make decisions on? And I think the third thing, Mike, is just the understanding that as great as Bill Belichick, the coach, has been, Bill Belichick, the general manager, deserves as much criticism as Jerry Jones has gotten in recent years because Bill Belichick, the general manager, has not put his roster in good position, particularly with the offensive skill players uh, that he knew he had to do 
in the offseason. And, and, and look, when you don't get what I would call a franchise receiver, when you're drafting two guys who've made zero impact to be your tight ends of the future in the, in the third round, you know, there's something problem there. There's, there's some problem there. There's something that might be a little systemic. And if I were Belichick, I would want to examine everything about my personnel acquisition style and substance that has shown this roster to be so far behind the offensive eight ball in the NFL right now. And there's got to be a fascinating story behind this story because Nick Casario, the VP of player personnel, setting the table for Belichick. Is Belichick ignoring the advice of Casario, relying too heavily on it? Is there a strong enough balance to Belichick as he has amassed more power and influence and fame and rings to the point where he can pick whoever he wants and no one will say boo because he's such a good coach. And of course, it's not like anyone from the Patriots is ever going to open up and tell us all these things. But there, there is reason to believe that, that there are some intriguing answers behind that, that thick curtain that the Patriots routinely put up. The, the curtain uh, is, is dropping on Cam Newton's time with the Patriots. Here's the quarterback from last night regarding his struggles and also Bill Belichick on who his quarterback is going forward. You know, we just got to be better. And, and it starts with me personally. Uh, just have to make more plays. Are you concerned about being benched for next week or anything like that? Um, uh, I, that's not my call. Um, just doing what I'm asked. I just have to still go into each and every week with the mentality to keep getting better. And that's what I plan on doing. You're going to stick with Cam next week at quarterback. Yeah, great starting. question, Mike. I'm really glad you asked that. Cam's our quarterback. What has Cam showed you to to stick by him so much? He's our quarterback. I could just answer that one, Ben. You know, the jerk routine isn't nearly as appealing when you're six and seven, Bill. I, I I'm I'm and I called him out for being that way when you know when they were twelve and zero. I it's just I, I don't get it. It's a fair question. It's a legitimate question. When you bench your starter with significant time left in the game, the question of who your quarterback is next week is a fair and appropriate question, Peter. No question about it. And look, I, I would say, you know, this, this is probably, I, I'm sure it's a knee-jerk thing, but if we had a, if, if our lightning round today or, or at some point were to say, okay, Mike, quick, Name the five most disappointing players in football this year. And if, if I told you that Cam Newton was going to be pretty much healthy. Now, he's obviously got some uh, core muscle issue now, or, or you know, he's got some, some pain in his torso somewhere, you know. But Cam Newton's been one of the most disappointing players in football. The amazing thing is, think about this, Mike. He has started 12 football games with Josh McDaniels as his offensive coordinator. He has five touchdown passes. Back in the glory days of Cam, you know, I'm sure, I'd, I'd have to look it up, but I'm sure he threw five touchdowns in a game at some point in his life. And that, to me, is absolutely startling. Those, are, those aren't even Steve Grogan numbers. You know, those aren't, those aren't Tom Hodson numbers. And, and to me, I just think it is, it is startling, you know, how Cam's game basically has fallen off the edge of a cliff. He did throw five touchdown passes against Washington at one point. You are correct. Tied a franchise record with five touchdown passes you are in correct, a single sir. game. So you are correct, sir. So, yes, it is, it is stunning. And, look, he was looking good before he got – COVID-19, missed some time. When he came back, there were questions about whether or not he had any type of lingering brain fog. He didn't appreciate the question what was posed to him by Greg Hill of WEEI. But then later, Cam said, yeah, it took me a while to get right again. And we've seen this twice now where he's been benched for Jared Stidham. You really have to wonder who the quarterback is going to be in 2021. I posted that question last night on Twitter, and I think within – a couple of minutes had 200 suggestions, some of which were legitimate, some of which were sarcastic. 
But who will the quarterback of the New England Patriots be in 2021? Because I get the feeling it's not going to be Cam Newton. And in the flashes we've seen of Jarrett Stidham, I haven't seen enough to make me think he's going to be the guy either, Peter. I can't imagine that they would go to camp giving Stidham the job. I mean, I think if, if I'm predicting and the way we we talked about this, Mike, in the spring, and uh, I, I said, and I said it many times, Bill Belichick's way is not to set the market on March 15th. It just isn't. Or to make his decision on March 15th. His way is to say, Let's see people go out and spend the stupid money and then I'll be laying in the weeds and I'll get the next best option. That's exactly what they did in waiting for June and waiting for Cam Newton. And it seemed like a brilliant idea at the time. And But now, right now, when you look at this situation, you may have to be the New England Patriots and say, is this the year we maybe overpick a quarterback, overpick, say, a Zach Wilson, a Brigham Young in the first round. And, you know, it, or do you go out and do you try to make a preemptive strike and try to get, say, a Matthew Stafford for a two and a four or something like that? So those are the kind of things that, to me, I would be investigating as soon as the season is over because. I don't see any logical way that you bring back a guy who in his last three starts, in none of his last three starts, has thrown for 120 yards. This is like, you know, that's what you look at when you look at football in 1937, not when you look at football in 2020. (laughs) Uh, We now have more than 1,200 suggestions in response to the question that you may have seen on the screen a few minutes ago. And when I popped on it just now, the first name that came up was Andrew Luck. That is an intriguing rabbit hole down which to venture if that were to happen. I don't think Andrew Luck, who made a quick appearance this week to tout Jacoby Brissett for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I've I, I've I've been fascinated by this kind of idle chatter that has absolutely no merit to it and will never happen. But it is fun to at least wonder about a potential return of the prodigal son back to Boston. Now, Tom Brady just said yesterday, after being in Tampa in December, you won't catch me dead living in the Northeast again. So that makes it even less likely. But man, look... To the extent that we're keeping score on who did better in the first year post-breakup, even though the Buccaneers and Tom Brady aren't as good as it looked like they were going to be, they're at least headed for the postseason. So I guess that's Brady 1, Belichick 0, at least for now. Yeah, Mike, I, uh, you know, of all the things that might happen this offseason— I'd put that in the, in the 968th <laughs> hole, uh, you know, both because you think Bill Belichick's Bill Belichick is going to admit that uh, he's got to go groveling back to Tom Brady. Do you think Tom Brady, who told me in the offseason, hey, Peter, this is the first year in 30 years of football that I've ever had an offensive coach with a big grin? You know, I, it, it's... This is, uh, it's a funny, it's fun to think about, but it's not going to happen. They really do have an issue. And as you said, one option is to draft a quarterback earlier than maybe your draft position would suggest. Another option is to try to trade up, but what trade assets do you even have? How much of your future do you want to mortgage to try to move higher up in the draft? And look, at this point, with the Patriots' playoff chances far lower than 21%. We'll get the updated numbers from Kornacki on Football Night in America on Sunday night. There is the question of whether you just put Stidham or Brian Hoyer out there and all your other backups in order to evaluate young players and let nature take its course. And if you're going to not make the playoffs, you may as well be 6-10 and and draft higher. That's the dirty little secret that the NFL never wants us to focus on. But at this point, there's nothing to be gained by finishing 9-7 and seven if you're not going to make the playoffs, unless you want to be able to say we've had a non-losing season every year since 2000 or some ego-massaging factoid like that, 
you're better off if you're thinking about drafting a quarterback being higher in the stack than lower, Peter. You realize, of course, that if they finish nine and seven, they might uh, do extreme damage to the New York Jets getting uh, uh, getting their, getting Trevor Lawrence to be their quarterback. So, uh, it, look, there's all sorts of little nefarious scenarios you can think of. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to have any of any of them. I think he's just going to try to win every one of these games and then just let nature take its course after that. Wherever they're drafting, he's going to draft. And if he needs to spend, I think, I think, I think this is the first time he might seriously consider taking essentially his 2022 number one, uh, which could be a good number one again too. Could be a middle of the round or, or 13th pick or whatever. But if he could package that along with this year's pick, who knows? Maybe he can move up to number three or number four and he gets in position to take one of the... Uh, one of the primo quarterbacks this year. You know, I had a fleeting vision there. January 3, Patriots hosting the Jets. Jets leading, uh, or no, Jets trailing late. I screwed up my vision. Jets trailing late. And then on the last play of the game, the Patriots use a zero blitz and the Jets get their <laughs> only win of the season. And the Jaguars get Trevor Lawrence, not the New York Jets. Uh, let's focus on a team that won't have to worry about drafting high this year, the Los Angeles Rams. And one thing I've been advocating for the Rams for the past few weeks, get away from this three-headed monster, get away from a two-headed monster, develop and rely on one guy at the running back position, Cam Akers. He did that last night, Sean McVay did, and Cam Akers had a huge night. Let's hear from the rookie on... Uh, the big evening that he had against the Patriots. Just going out and trusting, trusting our offensive line, trusting the play calling and the scheme that we've been practicing over the past couple of days. The offensive line was the reason the run game was so successful tonight, in my opinion. Um, those guys got great push every time we ran the ball, and uh, it showed, you know, the run game was very successful tonight, and uh, we want to keep stacking blocks. Offensive line getting it done without Andrew Whitworth, who's expected back at some point. The Rams are, are peaking at the right time. And, you know, they've shown us flashes this year, and there have been moments where we think, wow, they're pretty damn good, and then they, they lose a game like to the 49ers two different occasions where you say, well, what do they really have going on here? But they've, they've built some momentum now with a big week, beating the Cardinals on Sunday and then turning around on Thursday night and really manhandling the New England Patriots and now – with three games left, Peter, they're the, they're the favorite to win the division. The question is, can they maybe get lucky here if they keep doing what they're doing, win their last three, get to 12-4? and four, Does that get them in striking distance for one of the top two spots in the NFC? Not that the second seed means anything this year because you don't get a bye anymore, but the higher you are on the playoff tree, uh, in theory, the better, you, uh, the better positioned you are to try to make a run at the Super Bowl. So Mike, Cam Akers was inactive twice earlier in the season. And so he's been active for 11 games so far this year. In eight of those 11 games, he's had 10 carries or less. In the last two weeks, they've started to use him as their primo guy, 21 and 29 carries. But what, what I thought was really interesting watching him last night, I just started saying to myself, I don't think I have seen a running back with, the, with as close to a Le'Veon Bell style of running the ball as I've seen with Cam Akers. The thing that made Le'Veon Bell so interesting as a running back is the fact that he was almost like a thoughtful running back. He'd get close to the line of scrimmage, he'd see where it was, bang, he'd wait a split second, then he would hit the hole and you know be the, the one-cut runner going upfield, okay? But last night, what I saw with, uh, you know, with Cam Akers was almost exactly the same thing. He's a patient runner. He's a decisive runner between the tackles when he has to be, but he's a patient runner when he goes outside. And I think especially when you've got guys who can clear it out, like Joe Noteboom. Nobody knew who he was basically until last night. And now his job on the left side of that line, I thought last night, 
really helped the Rams uh, dominate uh, New England, which you very rarely see. And especially, you don't have Whitworth, and, and you play that well in the run game. That's a tremendous job by, uh, by the Rams. The Rams are carrying a major scar from the Todd Gurley experience. They gave him the big contract. It, it didn't work out after that because of his knee problem dating back to Georgia. And they wanted to be more like the 49ers this year with multiple running backs being relied upon on a regular basis. They have settled back into developing that one guy and letting that one guy carry the load with Daryl Henderson being the backup and Malcolm Brown being the thanks for participating option. But there are parallels to the 49ers that were noticed last night, Peter, and it makes me wonder how this Rams offense is going to look as we get closer and closer to the playoffs and into January. Game still not completely resolved. Still a, a window for the Patriots to make something happen. And you get a third and medium and you run the ball. You get a couple of those instances where it right. looks like an obvious pass situation and Sean McVay takes the ball out of his supposed franchise quarterback's hand. That reminds me a lot of after Kyle Shanahan got freaked out by Jimmy Garoppolo early in the second half of the divisional playoff win over the Vikings and shifted to heavy run, and then the entirety of the NFC Championship game when Jimmy Garoppolo had a Bob Greasy stat line with like eight passes for the yeah. entire game. I, I, I can't help but wonder whether or not that's what we're going to see from the Rams. If, if this run game's working... There's no reason to trust anything to Jared Goff. Totally agree. I mean, last night, Cam Akers, you know, uh, 29 rushes, Jared Goff, 25 passes. And that's not an accident because I think that any coach, any coach, no matter how much he wants to fill the air with footballs, and Sean McVay certainly does, is going to play a game exactly the way that Sean McVay played it last night. When and if he's got a guy who's rushing it for six yards every time he touches the ball on average. And the one other thing I think about McVay, I think people over the last three or four years have basically said about McVay, you know, he just, all he wants to do is throw the ball. Look at him, working with the quarterbacks all the time. That's all he wants to do. Look, I, I mean, there's no question he's excited about his passing game and wants to make the passing game work. But the bottom line is, Mike, you know, he's like every smart coach who has ever coached. When your running game is, is working, it's the safest way to move the ball. Don't put the ball in the air as much. And that's exactly what he did. Now, last week, uh, you know, last week his quarterback threw it 47 times. And last night, his quarterback threw it 25. I don't expect Jared Goff to throw it 25 times a lot. But I think Sean McVay also doesn't want to throw it 47 times. He's just like the Steelers. Randy Feigner right now knows that the last two weeks, he's thrown it 104 times, Roethlisberger has. And he says, I do not want to do that. So I think you're going to see, uh, you know, the Rams go back to significantly above 25, but as long as they have acres playing like that, they're going to take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely no reason to take the ball out of the sure thing's hands if Cam Akers is playing like it was last night. Let's take a break. Quarterback is the focal point in Philadelphia this weekend. Taysom Hill likely to get start number four. Jalen Hurts definitely getting start number one. We'll talk about the Saints at the Eagles when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I've tried to prepare myself, um, not having reps with a lot of these guys, that my footwork marries Drews, so everything times up the same with those guys. And um, you know, I think that so far it's it's made for a smooth transition. Obviously, my my role has changed this week, but the preparation um, and the hard work throughout the week has not. So. Um, Carrying on that same mentality that I've always had this year, um, always being able to, or being ready to answer the phone when it rings and um, it's ringing, so ready to answer. Big challenge for both of these quarterbacks, and Taysom Hill has had three weeks of experience now to get himself more comfortable and, more importantly, to get the receivers more comfortable. You have to work on the timing. You don't get reps with the starting receivers when you're the backup. Taysom Hill told me after the win over the Falcons on Sunday that that's been one of the reasons why his passing has improved. More time working with the receivers, working after practice with the receivers, taking the mental reps necessary to get himself, as he said, to perform like Drew Brees does so the receivers are comfortable with the offense. And that gives him a huge advantage because for Hill, it's game number four. For Hertz, it's game number one on the fly, one week of prep, Peter. And for Hertz, look, this is something uh, that Jason Kelsey said earlier this week. It's been a total failure for the Eagles offense. I really don't think swapping out Carson Wentz for Jalen Hurts is going to change all that much for an offense that is bad across the board. I don't either. But I think there are some times where your franchise quarterback, and I still believe he will be that in 2021, although we can discuss the alternatives, I think the best thing for your franchise quarterback is to stop taking the physical and media and mental beating that Carson Wentz has taken over the last three months. Sometimes you just have to say, I don't know what the alternative is. We don't know about Jalen Hurts, but you know what? This guy needs to sit down, and it's time for him to sit down. I think Doug Peterson made not just the right sporting call. He made the humane call because it just felt so much. You know, I had great Cosell on my podcast this week. Everybody knows how smart Cosell is watching tape. Well, you know, I said to him, it looks like Carson Wentz, in my opinion, is seeing ghosts. And so everybody says, well, what does that mean? Well, when you take the snap back from center and immediately you're looking to bail out, you're not staying in the pocket. And that's because, you know, he's got so many issues in pass pro. And that has been his issue the entire year. So it's really hard to blame it all on Carson Wentz. But you can see now that his his quickness to get out of the pocket is preventing pass routes from developing. So you never can really tell whether anybody was going to be open or not. They don't have time to see. By that time, he's bailed out. And I and I just think, you know, it has built on itself. So now you bring a quarterback in whose game, in part, is his feet. And Carson Wentz, his game, in part, was his feet in 2017. But now, instead of using his feet to make plays, he's just using his feet as an escape mechanism. Let's see if Jalen Hurts can do any better. And the one other thing I'll say about Hurts, Mike, he has played at the highest level of college football in two specific programs where all eyes are on him. And and I think that's going to hold him in good stead. Andy Reid always used to laugh about if I would ever say, what about all the media crap in Philly? You know, WIP and, and all this stuff. He goes, who cares? <laughs> and and I think to some degree, Jalen Hurts is probably going to feel the same way. Well, and, and so my question becomes, especially in light of the market, where the fans are very passionate, where 
The Super Bowl from three years ago bought no one a pass. If anything, it increased the zeal with which the fan base wants to pursue number two and number three and beyond. How do you press the reset button for Carson Wentz? If Jalen Hurts plays well, it's over for Carson Wentz. If he doesn't play well, if he fails, then maybe there's a way to get people to understand that it wasn't Carson and that perhaps you go back to zero and zero and next year you give him another opportunity. You know, they don't have a lot of flexibility because of the contract that has $25 million fully guaranteed already for 2021. Another $15 million for 2022 becomes fully guaranteed the middle of March of 2021. They are stuck with Carson Wentz financially. I just don't know after you bench him, Peter, how you get to a point where you can hit that reset button and the fans will buy in and he will have an opportunity to rebuild himself without crumbling under the weight of the same pressures that have crumbled him now. Joe Banner said something interesting this week, Mike, I thought about the contract that basically no contract is untradeable. Now, this contract obviously would be really uncomfortable um, for the trading team, of course, and the acquiring team. But if you change some of that money into, uh, into a signing bonus and have it basically massaged over the life of the deal, it's, not, it's still very bad, but it's not heinous, you know, and it's not $59 million. But I'll just say one thing about the way this thing right now, I believe, is sculpted. Some team out there is going to have to want Carson Wentz. And the only team I see that could potentially want Carson Wentz is the Indianapolis Colts. Now, you might say, well, geez, you know, they're doing, they're doing fine. They'll figure out the quarterback. Maybe it won't be Jacoby Brissett. Probably won't be Phillip Rivers, but they'll figure it out. Look, Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, and Frank Reich, the head coach, want a long-term quarterback. They don't want scotch tape fixes. And so my, my whole thought about this is, I'm not saying the Colts are going to be interested, but I believe knowing Chris Ballard, knowing Frank Reich, especially Ballard, that he will study this situation fervently and that he will look at this situation and he'll say, does it make any sense for us to even consider it? But finally, Mike, the one thing I think that's going to be trouble in this whole thing is the Eagles have to say blindly, blandly, that Carson Wentz is our guy. They cannot make it seem like they are going to talk to anybody. There's got to be an omerta over any sort of discussion that you would have with the Indianapolis Colts or with any team that no one involved in any of those discussions would even admit it to their wives, you know, that it's got to be totally silent. That's the only way I think it could work because if Carson Wentz finds out, if, if anybody in Philadelphia finds out that they've been trying to deal him, then bang, the thing could all blow up. The one thing you can't do is cut Carson Wentz because you've got the $25 million obligation in 2021. Now, there's offset language, but no one's going to pay him $25 million. Not only are you going to take the huge cap hit for the acceleration of the signing bonus that he was paid and the other guarantees he was given, you carry that salary. The trade isn't as impossible as it was for a Brock Osweiler out of Houston where the Texans had to actually give the Browns a second-round pick to take on the $16 million fully guaranteed salary that Osweiler was due to make in 2017. But th this is the challenge from the Eagles' perspective. They're going to be carrying a $34 million cap number next year for Wentz, whether he's on the team or not. But if he's not on the team, you do avoid that $40 million in new cash obligations that would attach. Can you get a team like the Colts to say, we'll take Wentz 
at $25 million in a cash obligation for this year, with or without a signing bonus that spreads out the cap hit. The cap hit's not the issue. They signed Phillip Rivers this year to a one-year $25 million contract. Back in March, if you had said to any Colts fan, you can have Phillip Rivers for one year $25 million, you can have Carson Wentz for one year $25 million, they all would have said, we'll take Wentz. Now, there may be a different attitude this year, but there's one Colts fan who matters, and that's Frank Reich. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator when Wentz was an MVP finalist before he suffered the torn ACL three years ago today. If Reich doesn't want him, that's the ultimate litmus test. Sims and I were talking about this earlier in the week. If Reich Reich doesn't want him, then no one should want him, Peter. Yeah, I agree. Um, But I think Frank Reich will want him. That's just my gut feeling. And if Frank Reich does want him, then it's a matter of, what would the Eagles take? Uh, would they need to have what they would consider fair compensation? Or would they just want to say, look, we want to do a solid for Carson Wentz. It just didn't work out. And Mike, you know, you said it. There's a lot of people who would say it really doesn't matter what Jalen Hurts does in the next three weeks uh, because this is going to all be about Carson Wentz. Well, I would disagree with that a lot. I think if Jalen Hurts plays well in the last three, four weeks of the season, however much he plays. If he plays well and they look at him as being a good quarterback behind a scotch tape, leaky offensive line, geez, what's he going to do when he gets to be, gets to be behind a better performing line? And one other thing, what is the comp that a lot of people made when Jalen Hurts was drafted. The comp was Dak Prescott. And I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that Jalen Hurts is ever going to be Dak Prescott. But they're guys who play well in the pocket who also can move out of the pocket either to gain yards or to throw the ball on the move. And so to me, I think if you use that, maybe as your model, it's a little bit too much. But if you use that just to keep in mind, this is the style of quarterback that Jalen Hurts is going to be. And if he can be that today and in the future and prove that he can be that style of quarterback, I think that's going to appeal to the Eagles. Quarterback issues in Philadelphia that date back to 2016. Quarterback issues in Chicago dating to 2017 have created a situation where GM, head coach, maybe both are on the hot seat. We'll talk about the situation with the Bears when PFT Live continues right after this. With another loss, are you worried for your job? Again, I I don't get into any speculation on any of that. I just, my job, what my job is to do is, is to make sure that each and every week Uh, I'm giving it everything I can as a coach and as a leader, you know, with these guys. So I have to make sure that uh, I do that. And any other thing that's a distraction, that would be taken away from our team. And and that would be not good for, for me or them. And I just, so I don't even get into that. Matt Nagy was the coach of the year just two years ago. His first season with the Bears, they won the division and almost won a wild card playoff game. Now, the rumors, the speculation, are swirling and have been that Nagy could be out, that GM Ryan Pace could be out. At least Nagy can say, I didn't pick Mitchell Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. Actually, Nagy got Patrick Mahomes for one year when he was in Kansas City before he got the job. But Peter, I think we are firmly into the point where the silence from the Bears is deafening. If you're going to keep these guys, we are close enough to the end of the season that someone needs to come out and say so, just like the Lions did last year with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. And the absence of any indication from the Bears organization that big changes won't be made tells us that there's a pretty damn good chance that big changes will be made. Mike, I'll be very surprised if some significant change isn't made uh, at the top of the Bears football operations. Um, there's just too much, uh, too much has gone wrong. And, and, you know, you might say, well, geez, they're just two years removed from doing X, Y, and Z. Unfortunately in the NFL, two years has become a lifetime. And I, I, I guess I would, I would make this point, even though 
I'm sure when I make it, uh, Bears fans from uh, DeKalb to Carbondale are going to be throwing a brick through their TV. And I would just say, you know, I got to know Matt Nagy a little bit early on in Chicago. And obviously, excuse me, when he was late in his career in Kansas City, the one thing that I knew about him was he really was a total absolute sponge off Andy Reid. And in my opinion, you said it at the top, and that is that I'm not sure that Bill Walsh was going to make a really good quarterback out of uh, Mitchell Trubisky. I'm not sure anybody was going to do that. And so my whole thing is, I would hate to see Matt Nagy go back somewhere in, in 2021 if he gets fired as an offensive coordinator somewhere. And then maybe later getting another chance to be a head coach. When you got the coach of the year sitting on your mantelpiece, you know, you're probably going to get at least considered down the road. But my only thing is, I think that I would rather have a situation. If they're going to do something, I would rather see them fire pace and keep Nagy and also be able to pick his next quarterback, whoever that is going to be, and then get a fair chance to work with him. That always creates an awkward dynamic, though, Peter, when you bring in a new GM and you tell the new GM this is your coach because we saw it with Bob Quinn two years later. Jim Caldwell's out. And to go way back, and Bears fans will throw another brick through their TV when they're reminded of this. When Jerry Angelo became the GM late in the 2001 offseason, he wanted to get rid of Dick Duron, and he ended up being stuck with Dick Duron because Dick Duron went to the playoffs, won the division in 2001. He wanted to bring in, Angelo did, Lovey Smith, and he eventually did after he tried to get Nick Saban. But the 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 reality is when you get these, these tracks that aren't on the same page, it makes it hard going forward. And, and it's a shame if Nagy gets caught up in that that they, if they have to get rid of Pace, do they have to get rid of Nagy? Can you keep Nagy and bring in a GM who wants to work with him? They, they, they just, it creates a potential mess, and it's a mess for the Bears. It's a mess for team president Ted Phillips, who's made it 21 years without any real scrutiny, and he could be gone too, Peter, by the time this is all said and done. All right, plenty more could be said about it, but we're up against a hard break. We need to just take a quick respite, and then we'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 